And hello once again and welcome back to the Draper Dialogues. And boy, do we have a show for you today, wrestling fans. I am pumped. I've been waiting so long to make this interview happen. I've been waiting since we kicked off this project back this spring when COVID-19 emerged. Tony Danucci, the boss, the man, welcome finally to the Draper Dialogues. It's awesome, brother. I, I, I miss the heck out of you, and I'm, I'm glad to be able to be a part of this. Uh, I know I hear a lot of good stuff about it, and I finally get to be a part of it. It's going to be cool. All right. Well, we're certainly glad to have you. I've been starting out with most of my guests here just asking this straight-up question, and I know this might be a little bit different for you. Uh, how have you been handling this pandemic and this time that we've kind of been shut down here more or less with pro wrestling? Yeah, it's it's been different, DJ. You know, I'm out doing my thing with with our with our with my work for my television show, for our commercials, and and people talking to me about doing shows for the future meetings. I met with High V today of all people down in Owatonna, and they're interested in doing a big show for the summer if that's a possibility. If we're able to to run shows, I mean, I'm I'm biting at the bit, ready to go. I mean, right now my life is just it's such an unnormalcy. I mean, basically, I work, I come home, I don't go anywhere. Uh, I uh, I go to the my basement, lift my weights, and do some uh, preparation for work in the morning. And 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 it's it's kind of very repetitive. I'm I'm ready for normalcy, and I'm ready for shows. For, I miss the heck out of the shows when you don't have something. I guess you don't realize how. Much, and I miss doing the shows and and being with the guys and and seeing all the people that go to the shows on the road, and I'm just ready for it. I'm ready for, for things to, to be back to normal again, and I'm sure as uh, you're the same. We were talking a little bit before we started taping here that it does sound like there is still just a huge hunger out there from communities to bring the AWF back, and you got to figure that just having that light at the end of the tunnel is just maybe just enough to keep you going here throughout this pandemic we're experiencing. Yeah, you know, sometimes you're going, man, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, all I'm doing is I'm spinning my wheels, but the people, the feedback, and we're not even talking, we're, we're talking initial people re initially reaching out to me, wanting to do shows, wanting to go to shows, wanting to have us come to their, to their area, their facility. They missed seeing the show. Uh, I mean, they're watching it on TV and they want to be a part of it. Let's be honest. We as the wrestlers miss the audience just as much as they miss the shows. It's it's just not the same without without the audience. Well, that's the current time. Now, how about we rewind things way back to the start with Tony Danucci? How about you tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up and were you a fan of wrestling as you were uh, coming of age? Well, what, what happened was is I, I was born in South Philadelphia, and we moved to Minnesota, thank the Lord. Uh, when I was a young lad, I was, uh, I was uh, like six years old or whatever I was, and uh, grew up in a town called Egan, Minnesota, and went to Rosemont High School and uh, did some college and played some football. And uh, when I was done with that, I was lifting at a gym called Cedar Health and Fitness in Apple Valley, Minnesota. And I lifted with guys by the name of Shawn Michaels, Marty Janetti, Nails, Kevin Wackles, Scott Hall was at that gym. He was big Scott Hall at the time. And I told him, I said, you know, I think I'm gonna do bodybuilding. I think I'm gonna give it a shot. And Shawn, laughed his rear end off saying why would you want to do bodybuilding and i said well what do you want me to do it was something because i enjoy lifting and i figured well i'll use uh, my weightlifting for something and he literally it was maybe not even a week later came back with the address of the awa office uh, which was over there in the golden valley area and uh, a, a time, and I actually went and met Vern and a guy by the name who now has passed, Wahoo McDaniels. Uh, it was on a Tuesday afternoon sometime, 
And I kind of, I guess you could say, interviewed with Vern Gagne. And, and believe me, I know who Vern was. I, I, in fact, I got teased about it because I saw as this is an interview, I'm going to put my suit on. I wore my suit. And the, the funniest thing is, you know, back then at DJ, I don't know if you remember, because the wrestlers were all pretty tall, big guys, predominantly bigger than what they are today. It was a lot more of a power game than it was the high flying game. And the whole reason that Vern decided to get me trained was because of the fact he kept saying it over and over and thank God I wasn't sweet. She goes, you're an Italian. Yep. We need a good Italian. And uh, he had a guy by the name of Pat Tanaka train me. And uh, cause Brad Riggins at that time was doing stuff with Japan and pretty much most of his, his training career, he was training, you know, the Japanese and uh, I got trained and I, I think that I had maybe four, five, six matches with the, a group called PWA, which was uh, Pro Wrestling America by the name of yeah, his name with the old AWA. And um, I six or seventeen eighty nine, I wrestled in the St. Paul Civic Center uh, for the Twin. 80 wars and uh i tell you yeah, how i just stop you right there just want to ask you like when you mentioned the saint paul civic center yeah. when you were growing up in the south metro did you ever make that uh trek up to either there or the minneapolis auditorium to watch shows as you were growing up saint paul civic center 100 percent. that's where you know i saw the guys i mean that was what was so awesome i mean just to meet to see these guys on you know in, in, in the civic center in that setting up on the ring, bigger than life, Nikita Koloff, uh, uh, Telly Blanchard, the, my favorite of all time to this day, and always will be, the very best in wrestling, and I will step out on the out out, out there and, and I'll and I'll give it Nick Bockwinkle. Uh, the man was an incredible gentleman, and I will tell you he was a general of the ring. He understood the business and what and, and what a soft spoken man. He he taught me a lot and to go see those guys before I started wrestling with those guys. I mean, you're just in awe. You're you are in awe of these guys because everything is just so bigger than life, uh, and especially back then when uh, I don't know if this is the right term and all. Had more of an innocence. Wrestling was. It, it, it hadn't developed to what it had developed today. It had more of a purity. And I just, oh, man. Yes. I was in awe, to say the least. So you uh, were training with Pat Tanaka. What was that experience like? And who might some uh, some of the people have been in your uh, training camp class there? Well, uh, most of the guys, I'll be honest with you. I was very fortunate. Tanaka... Uh, and Paul Diamond, really, I was the guy with them and the only guy when when I was being trained with them. But I would go to learn with Eddie Sharkey's group, and that was Jerry Lynn, uh, Sean Waltman, X-Pac, whatever you guys call him, uh, Jeff Warner, uh, big, big guy. He was J.W. Storm of the NWA. Uh, uh, who else was it? Um Trying to think, uh, Derek Dukes, uh, he he was in that camp. Uh, what's it? So, so Ricky Rice, which I don't know. Do you remember Ricky Rice at all? Uh, do you remember him at all? Yep, I have his name down here later on in my notes somewhere. <laughs> yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal worker. Another another guy that really honestly should have gone a lot farther than him. He's probably one of the best workers to to ever come through Minnesota. And, and just a, a stand-up nice guy. Now, those guys were in camp maybe a little bit before me. Uh, Charlie Norris, uh, boy, he was he's a giant of a man. I mean, Charlie, I would say, he was at least 6'7", six, 6'8", six, big, big guy. In fact, I talked to him periodically on, on Facebook, a heck of a guy. Yeah, we had a, a Tim Hunt. We, just, we had a bunch of powerhouse big guys uh, in there. But the neat thing is when I was getting trained by, by Pat and, uh, and Paul Diamond, real name is John Boric, I had that, and that's what they wanted. I had that, that attention, that, that individual attention, because 
they wanted to get me ready because they actually had a spot for me literally right away. I didn't have that many matches with the PWA. I literally had five, six matches and rolled right over into the AWA. So a lot has been said, uh, and he's unfortunately no longer with us, about Fern Gagne. For better or worse, folks have opinions on him. Uh, what would you say your experience was like uh, working under Vern? I, I will tell you it was extreme, extreme intimidation. I'll, I'll just tell you a quick story. So when I had that first interview with him, I had my suit on, the whole nine yards. I go into the office. I go to shake his hand. Now, it was just a normal handshake. I wasn't trying to squeeze anything. And I'm telling you, I thought he broke my hand. He squeezed my hand so hard. At the end of the interview, meeting, whatever you want to call it, he says, do you know why I squeezed your hand so hard? And I, 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 won't, I won't lie to you. I tried to play dumb to it because I didn't want him to think that I'm a wimp. But I will tell you, it hurt like no handshake that I've ever, I've, I've ever had. I mean, you got to realize he was a two-sport collegiate athlete. He was a football player for the University of Minnesota and a wrestler. There is something to be said about that. The guy was an he, he was a he was a, a fiend is what he was. Extremely strong. But he goes to me, he goes, Do you know why I shook your hand so hard? And finally I said, No, why, why, Vern? And he goes, Because I can. And then he goes, In other words, you mess with the bull, you get the horn. So it put a fear into me like you wouldn't believe. But after we went on and, you know, time went on when I was, uh, I was with that, with the organization, he more became like a, like a father figure to me. I looked him and Nick Bockwinkle, you just, you couldn't have two better role models. They were classy guys, the way they carried themselves, the way they, the way they conducted their business. Um, it was an unbelievable era and environment to be a part of. That I'm, that I'm very fortunate because there are not many guys around that can say anymore that they were a part of that group, the AWA. Jerry Lynn and Sean Waltman would have loved to. They ended up going down to Global, I think, just because of that, that time they wanted bigger wrestlers. And Jerry Lynn, I'll say, probably is the best worker to ever come out of Minnesota as far as I'm concerned. One of the nicest guys you ever want to meet. But they were never part of that because they were looking for you know bigger guys and – I think the thing that got me in was my nationality, and I always lifted hard. That's that's how I met all these guys was in the gym. So yeah, it was uh, it was a pretty incredible uh, environment, DJ. It really was. It was it's uh, it will it will be in my memories till the day I die. And then around that time, as you mentioned, uh, guys like Waltman and Jerry Lynn might have been taken off for greener pastures elsewhere. And then at the top. You had uh, folks like Sergeant Slaughter and Baron Von Raschke and Larry yep. Zabisco, but there was also another guy who was just starting in, and he wasn't uh, in the wrestling ring. He was rather behind the microphone, that being Eric Bischoff, who went on to, of course, his own stardom. Any yep. stories about him? Well, Eric, yeah, actually, I do. Eric Bischoff, when he was working for Vern, was out, he was living in Montana, and he was like a radio a jock guy on you know on a time slot that wasn't you know the greatest because he was you know he was new in the business and when Vern shut his doors down uh I had Jerry Lawler was knocking at my door because Burt Prentice Christopher Love was one of the guys in the office for the AWA and he had gone down to USWA and was telling me to get down there because Jerry uh Jerry wanted me down there, and I was going to start a program with Brian Lawler down there. And Bischoff kept saying, and I was loyal. If there's something to be said about yesteryears, which I wish we had more of today, DJ, and you're definitely one of them, and I can say you are definitely like that, but loyalty is something that just doesn't seem like, like there is any. And so I was hanging on. And hanging on and hanging on and hanging on. I hung on for almost two months without a wrestling match, not doing anything, waiting for uh, waiting for uh, AWA to start up again, and uh, and and they never did. And by the time I had already hightailed it out of there, I was I wasn't even talking to him anymore. And uh, but Eric honestly was 
a pretty nice guy. He put me over. If you ever listen to the old AWF archives, you know, they considered me back then, uh, which absolutely wouldn't be today, but I was considered a high flyer back in the day because when I went to the AWA, I don't know if you're aware of this, DJ, but they weren't even using they there was a top rope rule. You could not come off the top <laughs> rope. And I'm serious, you could not come off the top rope. Well, one of the things that I could do was I did I don't remember if you remember that round off handspring. I just oh, of course I do. I don't and then I and then I could do a splash. And AWA literally let that I and I'm not gonna say it was because of me. But I'm going to say I probably had a big uh, part of that. They said, we're, we're going to let that top rope rule go. And the guys are able to come off the top ropes. And Eric Bischoff used to, and, and it really was kind of nice because I used to listen to the commentating when we watched the shows later on. And he really put me over as the high flyer. was always very nice to me. Uh, I drove with him many times to shows because we all carpooled. And... Uh, he was, he was a great guy. The only thing he ever did me, he really didn't do anything to me. He just wanted me to wait to, to go down to USWA because he said, you know, AWA is going to start. And obviously uh, that was in 1990, 1991 or two. I can't remember what it was, but uh, never did open. And then I went down and worked, uh, started working for Jerry. Earlier in the conversation, you briefly mentioned that Twin Wars 90 show, and we got the poster of it here, and the with Flair and Pillman working each other, yep. just I would kill to get a tape of that somewhere, uh, and I understand that you were in the opening match on that. Any memories from that show? Yeah, um, <laughs> negative or positive. I Anything. <laughs> I, was I was extremely nervous um, in the locker room. And I mean extremely nervous. I probably had gone to the bathroom 15 times, pacing the locker room, and Nikita came over and put his arm around me and said, brah, maybe we need to get you some hooch to mellow me out because <laughs> I was I was making – he said I was making him nervous. But it, the, the memory is – because I had already known Brian Pillman before that time uh, – Brian really helped me out, who is the guy that I absolutely um, – in fact, I talked to his son here and here and then now on Facebook. But Brian was uh, a guy that always I could talk to. Uh, when he was wrestling for WWF back in the day, I'd go pick him up, and we'd go out, we'd go to the shows, and it was just he was the nicest guy to have. And another nice guy to have in that locker room, other than Bachwinkle, was, believe it or not, was Larry Zabisco. Larry was a great guy. The guys back then, I mean, we're talking the big names, you know, the rocks of their era, uh, would always spend time and talk to you. Uh, Nick would critique, Nick Bachwinkle and would critique my matches when I was done. But that, going back to the twin 90s war, you, you can't even imagine when, you know, when you've been wrestling in front of, you know, the smaller crowds with, you know, the, the PWA, and all of a sudden you're in the St. Paul Civic Center. Well, and here I'll tell you another story. So I come in, and I look at the I look at the I look at the sheets, and it said Tony Danucci versus uh, Nikita Koloff. I'm going, oh, this is going to be good, and that's a great guy he had put on the sheets. Well, I I I went back. I came, I went and did something, and I came back, and they said, take a look at the sheets again. Things have changed. And they gave me the match with the illustrious one, Johnny Stewart. And we had a good match. I mean, I tell you, I was nervous, but it was a great match. People really were into it. And uh, that was really, that wasn't my first match, but that was, uh, that, that was one of the, it was my first or second match. It's my second or third match, I'm sorry, with the AWA. But in that arena, that was my first time ever. And that was absolutely insane. It was just insane. When you have never been in front of a crowd like that, and all of a sudden they throw you, it it, it plays havoc on your nerves, DJ. And as we know, that was one of the last big shots that AWA had at the Civic Center, and then time would be yeah. short thereafter. And then we look back at those 
uh, ESPN tapings down at the Mayo Civic Center in Rochester. You can kind of see a lot of fans dressed up as chairs there. Uh, was there anything Vern yep. could have done differently to get things going longer or maybe get bigger crowds at that point in time? Well, that you, you got to remember. Okay, so when I was getting trained, okay, one of the one of the places we got trained is it was uh, Pat Tanaka did a thing with the Glow, the uh, Glow Girls. Mm. So Medusa, mm. Heidi Lee Morgan, all all the big names at that time, and we're all I'm taking I'm taking bumps. I tell you what, you want to learn how to bump? I bet you I bumped a thousand times. You know, because they were a lot of the girls that were there were fairly new themselves. So I was bumping for them so they could learn how to do the moves. And uh, a guy by the name of Mike Enos was up there. Wayne Bloom was up there. Uh, the Reverend Ray Brown, I don't know if you remember him or not, big, big gentleman was up there. And we're all watching TV one night because we had, uh, they rented a bunch of, uh, of uh, condos for us up there while we were going to camp and uh that's when vince mcmahon decided he was gonna go go public uh with everything about wrestling and being entertainment and whatnot in and front of the uh new jersey state senate i believe to avoid and, the taxes well and, and we're all yeah and we're all getting ready to you know things were great until that point so it took some time for wrestling I don't know if Vern could have done anything. I think Vern maybe could have done, he, he could have definitely done better marketing than he was doing at that time, but his real estate was taking off. He was more into the real estate than I think than anything. And uh, to be honest with you, even with the marketing wrestling, it took such a slap in the face that it really did die. The weird, Here's the weird thing though, DJ is okay. So wrestling really did, get hurt up north but then when i went down to tennessee to uswa i don't know if the fans were more had a more of a loyalty or if they were more they just loved the love the sport that much but the memphis coliseum the monday night the louisville gardens tuesday night evansville uh arena wednesday night saturday uh the nashville garden saturday morning tv the, the the venues were really apt, and the, the Memphis Coliseum. That's when they were bringing like one guy from the from the WWF down. Kurt Henning came down, wrestled shows, Luger, and he they they'd work with one of the guys in the USWA. And I'm going to tell you, we went from it was like from two different sides of the coin. We went down there. It was but up north, it was yeah. You could have heard a pin drop. Uh, it, it got a little better once people kind of accepted it, but I, I, I still think um, maybe Vern could have done a little better promoting, uh, marketing. You know that wasn't his. He, he he came into a time with wrestling when 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 he opened it up as people were so hungry and wanted it so much, and then you know with that whole thing. So and he was he did what he always did, you know, because it was always successful, and I. Could things have been better? Absolutely. But I got to tell you, uh, just to be a part of that, to say that I was a part of the AWA, um, there's not many guys that can say that they were in, in this day and age. And I wouldn't change it for the world. So you mentioned that you were at some point waiting for the AWA to restart again, which we know it never did. Uh, at what point did you decide that yeah. you were going to go south? And what was it like down there working with Jerry Lawler and with the Jarrett's, I believe, were also involved in the territory? Yeah, yeah Jeff, Jeff and Jerry. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry were the owners. Jerry Lawler, uh, Jerry Jarrett, excuse me, had a heck of a business, too. He he had the the wrestling business. He was the majority owner down there. But he also built cathedrals and churches. He, he uh, Johnny Cash lived about four houses down from Jerry Jarrett's house. It's there, oh. it, it was the, 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 okay. So before we went down, here's what happened. Um, I was trying to call Bischoff when he was telling me to wait all that time. I wasn't getting any return calls. And then I talked to Burt Prentice and he says, get down here. They want you to run a program. Well, okay. So now you got to remember, they said, Brian Christopher, so I had no clue 
that Brian Christopher was Jerry Lawler's oh. son. You know, I saw in the books because I don't remember. Do you remember? Do I, I don't remember if you remember this, but back in the old days when they used to have all the the pro wrestling illustrated magazines and whatever, and they had all the Tony. Ratings. There was like, uh, I remember I the first. The first issue of The Wrestler, which was one of the spinoffs of PWI, which I got at what, at that point, my fandom had moved from just the WWF magazine to, hey, mom, can I get this magazine? And I remember seeing you laying on a motorcycle in that uh, in that magazine. And I, I would probably have been nine or ten years old at this point. I think that was the first time that your name came across my radar. It was it, it, I. I USWA, yeah, Vern opened the doors to USWA. It's, I, I'm not going to say that Vern wouldn't have because they were trying to push me. They really were. But I, there just wasn't enough time. And I did a program. I mean, I, you got to realize when I was down there, I was in uh, four-man tags. It was me, uh, Jerry Lawler, uh, Jeff Jerry. Jared Moondog Spot versus the Harris Brothers, me and Mike Miller and Brian Christopher. I mean, I my very first match, Jeff Jared and Jerry Lawler made the save. I mean, they were pushing me, and I was very fortunate. But I never knew until we became really good friends, and I and I and I miss them till this day. I won't. I don't. Uh, it's funny because I won't erase my messages or my voicemails from Brian because he was always really good to me. Um, yeah. Talk Travel more about him. What was he like working with down there? Uh, in the ring. In, in the, the ring, ring, on the road, the everything. Man, I'll, I'll, on the road, he was phenomenal. He was fun. I used to travel with him and a guy called the Missouri Tiger, Jeff Gaylord, uh, collegiate football player, phenomenal, phenomenal athlete. And... Brian made the money down there. I did. I mean, I did okay. Brian treated me to lunch and meals almost every single day. Um, he was nothing but a great guy. Uh, I have nothing but good things to say. I really feel like that's where I really learned. It, it seemed like down south, uh, the psychology of the business was extremely important. And I got to tell you, I, I wish the kids today were able to to do what I did down there. I mean, we're talking, okay, so you're in the, the Memphis Coliseum and you got heels on one side, baby faces on another. They call your finish. They say go 10 minutes and you go. And you're never seeing that person until you're in the ring. Whole different ball game. Uh Guys today wouldn't even, they couldn't even imagine that. It, it, and it's uh, the stuff that I learned down there. And even even the etiquette, yeah, we, the etiquette of the locker room, but just everybody was always respectful. Everybody always, I remember going into the USWA locker room, everybody would shake everybody's hand. They'd sit and they were wait, and they and they sat and waited until they were called on. And you saw a little bit of that with the AWA, but there was just more, it seemed like there was more wrestling culture down there. And I think it's because at that time it was still extremely strong with, uh, with the, I mean, the USWA went long after I was gone and it, you know, it was, it was a, it was a heck of a group to be a part of. And I saw a lot of guys come and go rock was down there. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, the rock Rock's was Cavana, down there I believe, right? for a while down there. A lot of there's a lot of a lot of talent that came and you worked all the time. We worked Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Fridays was a house show, Saturdays was Channel Five Studio in the morning, uh, the the Nashville Garden Saturday evening. Sunday was our only day off. We worked six days a week, and let me tell you, if you're not going to learn doing that, you're not going to learn. So uh, at some point you decided that you were going to come back to Minnesota and then you were a mainstay on the independent scene here throughout the 90s. What uh, what was that period like with uh, 
a lot of the guys back uh, that you you had mentioned some of them who were frequenting the uh, Eddie Sharkey Ropers and Georgia shows. Uh, but then I know there were others like yep. the American Indian Center. Talk a little bit about the independent scene in the state of Minnesota in the uh, early to mid-90s. When I came back, uh, I, I would say really the group that I worked for, there was two groups that I worked I didn't really do a lot with the PWA. I really did it because uh, a guy by the name of Danny and Minnie and Ace Steele had me come in right away. And planning on was, getting to that a little bit, you know, <laughs> okay. So, but I, I that's who I, I, I slow down, really kid. didn't do a lot. Yeah. I worked through, pardon me. I said, slow down, kid. Are you there? Okay. So, I mean, the American Indian center. Yeah. We had some great matches. It was, that was the Ricky Rice's and the dairy Dukes and the, and the, and the, and the Billy blazes and the Charlie Norris's. You know, they, they, they held a match there probably like once every couple of months. And then they did they did the Ropers, but it wasn't called Ropers then. It was called George's. I don't know if you remember when it was called George's, but it was George's before it was Ropers. And I think, did it, let me ask you this. Do you remember, did it change its name again after Ropers? Uh, I'm not sure, but now I believe it's a crematorium or something like that. It's not a, a food or beverage establishment or live entertainment. I will remember, I do remember one of the shows, and there was the best show I've ever been a part of. Road Warriors actually had a tag match with some guys with Japan back in the day. And uh, I wrestled a guy named uh, Willie Wellington, who actually trained guys in Japan. He was from Japan, and uh, it's, uh, it, was, it gave me a phenomenal match. I learned more in that match. No, that we had some good stuff when I, when I first came back. But it, it seemed like, you know, you're, you're talking now, oh, this is 93, 94. It started to fade a little bit uh, as far as that group. And that's when I, you know, I, I basically I signed on with, uh, with their other groups. And, yeah, I mean, it was good. The American Indian Center was good. Ropers, Ropers or Georges, whatever you want to call it, was, was good. Um, I just, I'll be honest with DJ, I never liked myself. I liked the Indian Center. I didn't like the bar matches. I just, I just wasn't really, uh, I wasn't really a, a fan of wrestling in the bars. I, I don't know what it was. I never did like it that much. Um, I, I, I just felt like, I felt like more, it was more of a, without any being disrespectful, it's very important. Guys got to get their feet wet, but I felt more like I was part of a carnival, if that made any sense to you. I don't know. Well, considering that's the roots of this whole game to start with, I guess that's not yep. completely inappropriate. But, uh, Tony, am I right in that you uh, took a little bit of a break from wrestling at some point to focus on competitive bodybuilding? Yep, because that I was going to tell you that. It just came to my head. I just remembered myself. But So I wanted to do bodybuilding in the beginning, and... You know, I had those guys, you know, Sean and those guys tell me, you know, basically tease me about it. Why would I want to do it? There's no money in it. I wanted to do bodybuilding just to see what I could do for myself. I wasn't looking for money out of bodybuilding. And, um, yeah, I decided that I was going to – the gym I was training at had – I mean, it was called the Twin Cities Gym. There was pro bodies uh, by – pro bodybuilders but guy by the name of Tom Prince Ben Din he was billed as the world's largest Vietnamese man he was probably Ben Din was probably five foot six 255 60 pounds it's I mean you didn't even go into that gym unless you bench 300 I used to let me tell you how much I love that gym I drove from Lakeville to Roseville to go to that gym wow I drove you know basically it's a, it's you're talking an hour each way, but that's where I learned. And Chris Bonjabani, she was a I think she placed like eighth in the Olympia for the females. The gym was just an incredible gym. So yes, I I did compete and I did the 1994 uh, Gopher State Bodybuilding Championships and I won the heavyweights. And then I did the 1995 Mister Minnesota and I won the heavyweights. And then I took a year off because I tore my quad and came back and did the 1997 Ironman uh, 
and won the heavyweights there and had enough because what I realized was how much I missed the wrestling. So basically, I took, what, a three, a three-year, four-year hiatus, and I missed wrestling. But I got to tell you, what it did was I came back in the, the best shape of my life. And uh, to be honest with you, the floodgates opened. I mean, Steel Domain took me in. Uh, I was one half of the, the tag team champions there for I don't even know how long. Yeah, I was going to ask long, you about that time. next, Tony. Would, that was uh, around the time that okay, I started sorry. getting into uh, the independent scene. And, of course, the West St. Paul Armory there was the hotbed. And I remember going there as a, a 16, 17-year-old on a monthly basis. I'd be often in the front row. And then you and uh, that smug Travis Lee would come out with those belts. And I remember... Uh, saying some rather nasty things to you. And had I known I'd be working for you later on in life, I might have been a little <laughs> bit nicer about that. How was that going getting started as things were really starting to take off there down at West St. Paul? Uh, that was that that armory was a blast. Some of those man, those those fans were just just that's when wrestling started. People realized they looked at it differently, which is what helped. They looked at it differently. And it it. it that's that that steel domain in that armory was absolutely just crazy. I I looked forward to those shows like like you like you uh, like you like you wouldn't believe. It was weird though because my memory is when I first came back, I walked into the locker room. I had been gone a long time, and it was in that armory. This is where I'm confused, and it was steel domain that I held the boots uh, held the belt for, but. If I remember correctly, help me if I'm tell me if I'm wrong, but I remember in that locker room at that time it was Patera and Adnan. No, no, that were was they a, running shows? They were working with, I believe, Ed Sharkey to run kind of competition with Steel Domain. Okay. Yeah, and I I read I went in there, but then I ended up being you know Danny Dominion and A Steel were the guys that called me, and I ended up being with them. And then another group, you know, I don't believe you ever went down there to watch the shows, was the AAW with Jim Gagne. So I was their heavyweight champion down in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. We do the Eau Claire Civic Center once a month. And that group was absolutely, in, I mean, bet between those shows, I was doing two shows a month. I was taking some indie shows. And then I was running, actually. Uh, that's when I was doing the Maurice commercials. I was running the finance uh, department for uh, the Maurice car dealerships. I don't know if you remember that or not. Yes, and in fact, we got some video of that ad uh, right right here. Some uh, good good memories there. Uh, what was it like sharing a locker room back then with guys who, I don't know if you would have known at that point they would be going on to stardom. We know they had potential, certainly. Guys like CM Punk, Colt Cabana, who we see on Wednesday nights now, uh, and some of the others that were down there. I love Phil. I thought I thought Punk was a great guy. He wasn't there that long, though, if you remember. Remember, he had a fallout with uh, with the owner uh, of, of Steel Domain. He, uh, he hiatused it back to Chicago, and then I never saw him again. Colt Cabana was nothing but a class act. I still talk to Colt at least, I would say at least twice a month by Facebook. And uh, I'm probably going to see him because I'm going at the end of this month, uh, at the very end of this month, I'm going down to Florida and I'm, I'm going to see Jerry and Colt because I'm probably going to end up in a, sounds like I'll be at the AEW show over in Jacksonville. I'm going to go uh, check out a show and, and hang with those guys for a little bit. But uh, Colt was a fan. A Steel, phenomenal guy. Danny Dominion, great guy. Uh, there, there's a guy that didn't get enough. Uh, I, I don't think enough notoriety for his talent was a Danny Dominion was a talented guy. He had a great look, and I, I, I got to be honest. Out of all of those guys, say out of Colt, Ace, uh, Ace, um, Punk, uh, Scrap Iron, I Adam Pierce. Thought that Dominion, Adam Pierce was there. He was a great guy. I would have still told you I would have thought Danny Dominion would have gone the farthest because his workability was great and his look was good. He was in condition and shape, but 
hey, look what happened. Adam Pierce runs the uh, Adam runs the locker room for WWE. He's uh he's a he's a big shot there. He's I would have never. And I, how many matches did Adam even have for WWE? Uh, not a whole lot, did he? Uh, and pretty incredible time back then. And I know that there was uh, often that when the big show WWE would or WWF back then would come to town, we'd see guys like you and Derek Dukes and yeah. Scotty Zappa and Ricky Rice often. Uh, I don't want to use the word underneath because that's kind of, uh, I don't want to disparage you certainly, but uh, how did it go where oh. you would get those calls to show up to one of the TV tapings and kind of talk through uh, what that process was like throughout the day? Well, that was one of the things I was going to tell you too, and I kind of I kind of just got away from it. So when I started wrestling the indies again, I literally was sitting in my house in Maple Grove and my wife she thought it was a prank call because she says, this doesn't sound like anybody that you know. And she goes, do you, do you even know a Jim Cornette? And I said, give me the phone because Cornette was in Ta-da. Knoxville. Yeah, it's like it, C- C- Cornette was actually in Knoxville when I was with USWA. So we had a connection there, and he brought me in. Uh, if it wasn't for a couple of people, we won't mention any names, I probably would have had a full-time gig with WWE on a regular basis because Cornette really, really liked me. And was I, my, my first match was a dark match that I went, uh, we went like seven minutes, uh, and that was in the Rosemont in Chicago. Uh, so I was thinking it was really going to work out and you know what? It was great though. Being a part of it, being in the locker room with some of the names. I mean, we did this. I I wrestled in the St. Paul civic center and Brian, that's when Brian Lawler was grandmaster sexy. And (laughs) I, I, I hung with all those guys and there was another guy by the name of Dwayne Johnson. I, you gotta, I gotta tell you the story. So they go, where where can we get some really good pizza? Because we had that was a matinee show, and then we had to go up to the Fargo Dome for a night show. And they wanted to grab some pizza and and, and uh, hit the road. And so I said, I got it. I said, I, I had a great place for pizza. I was so excited to tell them about it. And uh, it was Cassetta's Pizza. And we mm-hmm. go over there, and we get the pizzas. And I don't know how the hell it happened. But there's pineapples all over the pizzas. Well, some and folks like that. Dwayne, pardon me? Some folks like that. Not The Rock. And he absolutely threw a conniption. He didn't want to pay for it. But then we ate He ate the, we ate the pizzas, and he didn't want to pay for it. But you got to realize, that's when everybody piled in. We all tried to get as cheap as we could. We have eight guys in a minivan. You know, because we don't want to pay for the rental. I mean, there's just so many stories. And Mr. Cassetta looks at me and says, uh, Mr. Danucci, you and your friends are are no longer welcome. I literally got 86 out of Cassetta's. Now, did I go back six months later? Yes. And did he, did he kick me out? No. But I'll never forget it because there was pineapples on the pizza. And, uh, and Dwayne uh, was not happy with that, to say the least. But every time I went, it was always, you know, being going to the WWE, even at my level, is it's just such a different game. It's uh, it's going from college football to the NFL. And I was there on shows where Trump was there because Trump and Vince were buddies. I met Snoop Dogg. I got to do a skit with Motley Crue, which was absolutely incredible. I got to go on the bus with Vince Neil. And they showed me the tour bus. I mean, yeah, I have, I have, you know what? I never got rich, but I got to tell you, I have memories that will last me for the rest of my life that are, you can't put a price on them. And certainly just a lot of cool stuff that there's not a lot of other people on the planet that get the opportunity to say that they were part of that. Uh, Tony, at some point you uh, moved down to the state of Florida for a little while. Uh, What went into that and what brought you back to Minnesota? Okay, so when I moved down to Florida... That's and to be clear, we're talking in the early business. 2000s sometime, right? Yeah, early. It was like 2001 or two. And when I moved down to Florida, I got brought down by the GM of the Maury's car dealership who ran Borton Volvo. And I got to tell you, the move was really, really good for me because I moved down there 
and I started wrestling. I became friends with MVP, Hassan Banks. Uh, his real name is Antonio, but he switched his name to Hassan. Heck of a guy, the Punisher. There were so many guys down there. Talent pool in Florida was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And uh, we came back. Uh, I tell you, I, we loved it down there. I love Florida. I would never tell you that I didn't. I love the weather. It's incredible. But we had to come back because Sabrina's father, my wife's father, had passed away. And my wife felt like we need to be back here. And we came back. And, you know, you know I'm a, a strong Christian. And I'm telling you that God opened the doors. And I ended up being the uh, – the, uh, the special finance manager for uh, uh, Cornerstone, and I, I was doing the marketing for them, and things opened up when I came back. But the thing about Florida was I decided that I wanted to try a show when I was up there, and or down there, I should say. And my very first show, I had Buff Bagwell. I had Animal. Who else did I? Oh, and Gangrel. And, and Gangrel was working on on a regular basis on the shows because he had just a brief stint with the, with the WWE obviously, but he was uh, working on the shows down there too. And I did it in a roller rink uh, in Lake Worth, Florida it was my first show I ever did. And I had some success and I felt like I didn't want to do it again. We were in a, uh, we had a U-Haul, we were pulling and we were following North American band lines and, you know, back back to Minnesota, back up to Minnesota. And so I, I started doing shows when I came back to Minnesota at a church called Grace Fellowship Church. And there was a youth pastor there that remembered me from the old AWA days and said, his name was Jake, and he said, would you like to, to do a show for us? That's how this whole thing came about. And he was the youth director. So I did a show, and it turned out really, really well. And then we did another one, and then we started renting the gym. I remember that's before Ken Anderson ever even was at uh, WWF. He would come. He was uh, he was down in uh, Louisville, and he came up a few times just to watch our shows. And uh, I was I was doing really, really well. I will never forget this. I was doing very, very well at at uh, at the car dealership at Cornerstone. They were really taking care of me, and I, I, I made the decision that I, I here. This is really weird. I, I went and I ran a show in Texas and it was going extremely well. And uh, the sponsors were coming out of the roof to sponsor the show. The show was phenomenal. And the reason I got that show is we had some friends that asked me if I would do a. This is how this whole thing that that's how the actual fundraising thing started. And they said, well, would you do a show for our, our football team up here in Texas? And they were originally from Minnesota. And I said, sure. And the sponsorship thing is it was out of the woodworks. And I, I learned how to do this with a, another gentleman that had his own company and his own business. And it was it went really, really well. The show went well. And then they did another one. And I told uh, Cornerstone, I said, you know, I think, and, and I didn't have anything in the works. I just knew that I could do it. I said, I think that I'm going to, I'm going to do, do this wrestling. I, it, it's so funny. I can remember what he said too. He goes, okay, this is the owner. He goes, you, you've worked for Vern Gagne, Jerry Lawler. You've done stuff for the WWF. And he goes, and now you're going to leave this company, which I pay you good money and you're going to go out and you're going to do this on your own. And I said, I, I think it's something I can do. He tapped the shoulder and he goes, that's great. He walked out and he slammed the door. And I tell you if that did anything, DJ, I will tell you if it did anything, it did nothing but motivate me. And that's 16 years ago. And I'm, and I'm still going during a pandemic. That's <laughs> all, you know, and that, which is, I don't think many people can say that right now so then how did you get hooked up with doing all of the high schools getting live events there i know that with the awa that there would be spot shows yep. uh, i believe as fundraisers mechanically uh what was the path to getting that all set up here in the state of minnesota okay so here's how that actually started i was doing the shows at the churches like i'd said 
and a guy by the name of Mike Cross, who is the head football coach, came to one of the shows with his kids. And he said, would you ever be interested in doing a show for my, my football team at the high school in Elk River? He knew that I'd lived there, too, because, you know, when we did the marketing and the advertising, we advertised that Tony Nanucci worked at the Cornerstone dealership. Yeah. And uh, I said, wow, that's what I did when I was with Vern. We wrestled in high schools. Yeah, we wrestled in the arenas, but high schools were almost his bread and butter. And I said, absolutely, I would love to do it. And we did one there. It was very successful, uh, the first show for uh, – literally zero to none marketing. And I think we drew 900 people or whatever it was. And, uh, and then I had the Cambridge fairgrounds contact me. And to be honest with you, I mean, what I always tell people really is there, it was a domino effect. I mean, the shows just started coming out of the woodworks high schools I and mean, the emails and groups I'd never even heard of were emailing me to do shows and it's it was just one after another and i just knew that this is what i was supposed to be doing you know and i like i said i started running shows what 16 years ago i think i've been i i've, I've been full-time at least 14 years now without uh without doing anything but wrestling and it's been absolutely when you love something and you have a passion for something it's just it's incredible to be able to do something you really have a passion for. There aren't a lot of people that get to do things that they absolutely love to do. And I'm doing something I love since I've been 22 years old and I'm 55 and I'm still doing it. And, you know, you know, you know, you say some of these guys that were top of the notch with the WWE and a lot of these wrestlers and they're not in the business anymore. I'm still in the business. You know, maybe I didn't get to be the next big thing with the WWE, but I'm still, there's, and there's something to be said about that. And, 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 and there's DJ, I, I'm not going to say anything yet, but there's, there's more opportunities that are happening for us in the AWF. And I've been working on that and, and you'll absolutely be, be right with me. Cause you're my main man. And, uh, right. I think God, God just keeps opening up the doors and that's the way i feel and i'm i'm blessed but i think the main thing is i think one of the reasons that this succeeds is i'm doing something i really love i love this business and there's a lot of ups and downs in this business there you come across a lot of people that aren't very nice and aren't going to say nice things to you but that's okay because i love the business i love seeing the the kids and the fans when you do something that they that they love it, it's a such a it's a feeling that you can't replace it it's unbelievable and yeah i'm blessed i really am i'm blessed dj and if you're a wrestling promoter i mean you have to have a certain level of passion you would think but for just about all wrestling promoters that's either a hobby or a side gig and to do this on a full-time basis for as long as you have has to be pretty remarkable because i can't imagine there's all that many people nationwide able to to make that a go. I, I only know a few. I don't nobody in Minnesota that I know that does it full time. And I've only I've only known really a, a few people that have to, to, to do it full time. But here here's the thing. A lot of you know I'm not saying this is bad or good. People that get into promoting because they're fans of wrestling. But fans of wrestling doesn't mean you understand and know the business. And there's a lot of people that are promoting these businesses that really don't know the business. And I was lucky enough where I was on the ground floor up and I've done it my whole life. I understand the business. I'm not just promoting wrestlers. I'm promoting a company, a wrestling company. And I'm not one of these guys that says, Oh, it's this guy. It's that guy. I want to put a show on and it's a business. I run it. I'm not booking, you know, endless million dollars. It's a business. It's a company. And the reason it's successful is because this company has been able to be profitable for 16 years. And, I, and it's because it's run like a business. I want the best, but it's got to make sense 
for the AWF. And I think that's what kept us on top is as long as we stayed there. And that's what's kept us going. Uh, in 2010, uh, you had the opportunity to get on TV with uh, after a several year absence of no rustling on uh, broadcast or even I don't think cable access. Well, we could talk about Bill Wasserman, but I don't think we necessarily need to. Um, I wasn't with you right at the start there, but I hopped on shortly thereafter. Uh, what was the process and the path to get on to 45 initially that time back in 2010 with the AWF? Uh, yeah, because I believe we started with 45, and then we have, now we're at back in 45. Yep. So I, I think her name, I, I can't, Susan was her name. The station manager had actually reached out to us asking if we would ever be interested in doing a show with them. I, I didn't reach out to them. She just knew of the shows that we were running. I don't even really understand how she found us, but you know, other than maybe through a website or whatever it was. So she reached out to us and uh, she, they offered, you know, the, them doing all the, all the, all the show and all the production. And there's no way I ever could have afforded that. So I put a couple ads out and I ended up with a guy by the name of Terry Gray. Do you remember Terry Gray at all? Of course I do. Running the ship uh, Friday nights on TPT's Almanac. Yep. He's a, he was a, he's a genius. He used to write all the music, put the whole production together, and we did. I can't remember where our first taping was. It probably was the Elk River High School is what I'm assuming. And uh, we put it together, sent it in, and uh, they liked it. And we did that for, I think we were with them for probably, with 45 in the beginning, for probably about a year and a half, maybe two years and uh, I, I just hated the time slot and because uh, it was late, late at night. Mm. So then we went to the CW, and I, I still wasn't 100% happy with the time slot. And uh, then I ended up going back to uh, where my home started. And we've been at, how long have we been at the noon time slot on Saturdays now? Oh, I've lost track. Uh, it's got to be three, four years now, right? Yeah, it's it's got to be right around there, and uh, I love the time slot. Uh, the only the only way I would ever switch if it was to a uh, like a time slot, say like on a weeknight around that seven eight o'clock mark, and I don't know if that would ever happen. If it did, I jump on it. But with the viewership is great. People are able to watch it. It's not too late. It's not too early. It's good for the kids. Uh, I, I'm thankful. And what's so great about forty five is. We're known to do shows for all the high schools. They're tied in with the prep sports to mm. all the high schools. It's just a good fit all the way around. It really is. Except when they preempt us for the prep bowl. Yeah, I get that though. <laughs> I, I get it. I don't like it, but I get it. I, you know, because that's their uh, their prep sports or their bread and butter too. And uh, I, I get it. I kind of I bow out graciously. I'm going to shift gears a little bit uh, throughout the last 14 years that we've had. Uh, the AWF continuously running in the state of Minnesota. We've had several uh, talents come up through the ranks and go on to bigger stardom. I want to get your thoughts just briefly on a, on a few of these guys. Uh, here's we're going to start with one who, when I, I had my first show with the U uh, back in October of 2010 at the Lester Prairie High School, it was actually uh, this gentleman's last show before he went on to WWE. Uh, your thoughts on uh, Thorof Marius slash Eric Rowan slash Eric Redbeard? Joe was probably my favorite. And I'll tell you, you know, you, DJ, you know me better than anybody. We've been together a long time. I'm a mark for the big guys. I'm an old <laughs> yep. school type. And, and, and they don't come any bigger than Thorof, Eric Rowan. In fact, I'm talking to him quite a bit now lately, it seems like. Talk at least once a week anymore. And I tell you, I, I think I've wrestled him. I don't know how many times he's busted. Well, you take a look at the scar on my lip from his heel, from his size 17 dropping down on my face and my shoulder, the injury. He's just such a large man, bigger than life. And, you know, I do, do I think his career should have been a little bit longer with WWE? Absolutely. But the one thing I can say about him is he was such a, 
a presence in the ring. He didn't have to say or do anything. All he had to do was walk out, and people were like in awe because he is a very large, large man. Uh, Juice Robinson, how about him? Love him. Probably one of the most talented guys. Uh, do I, I think the mistake that Juice made, if you want to say it was a mistake, I think he left the developmental uh, the, the group for WWE. I think he, he acted too quickly. I think he should have stayed there and put his time in because I think he would have been a big star with the WWE, but he loves New Japan, so that it, maybe it was a mistake. He's very successful over there, uh, very charismatic, very talented, uh, not a big high spot guy, but he could take a crowd and bring that crowd into what he was doing for those 10 or 15 minutes like like no other. Phenomenal, phenomenal talent. Good-looking kid, too. Great-looking guy. Really a, got a good look. Really good look. The kind of he's he's very marketable. Yeah, I think he'll. I think he's going to be around for a while. Chaz Betts slash Chad Gable. The thing here here's the thing about Chaz. Now, did I ever think? And and I and he's a great guy. He's, we, we talked too. He lives over just down the road from me in Elberville. Um, did I ever think he was going to go to the level that he did? No, not because he didn't have the talent just because he wasn't a very large guy, you know, on the shorter side, but yet one of the most humble, classiest guys you ever want to meet. He wrestled in the 2012 Olympics, phenomenal athlete, just very undersized. And he, he's a, he's, he is a pleasure to have around the locker room. He was nothing but nice. Uh, always carried himself. Well, just very, 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 very humble for everything that he's accomplished. And, I think he's. I I know the office loves him up there, and I think, I think you're going to see him around for the next seven, eight, nine, ten years. I truly do. He's in his early thirties. I think he's got a lot of time left. Uh, how about a guy who was your AWF heavyweight champion for quite a long time, Arya Davari? Okay, I'm going to say it. Don't tell him I said this. The best talent to ever come through the doors. Uh, incredible talent. Do we bump heads? Yeah. We're both, we both got egos. We both like our way, but when all was said and done, I, 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 he's, he's the best champion. He's, he's got a great look. He's, he's the most care. He's the best worker. I think that's ever come through our doors. Period. I, I I'm talking even of, of all the talent that I've brought in that's been with WWE. I'm going to go on the limb and I'm going to say Aria Davari is probably the best talent that we've ever seen. He could make that audience do, and deny it. Anybody I'd like them to deny, he can make that audience do what in, in my older years, he, him and me, he gave me matches that I would have never been able to have with anybody else. So I will, I will say that he is the best talent to ever come through our doors and I am more proud of him that I can he he uh his first doll I think I might have posted did I post it on Facebook DJ I don't remember I think he, you he did wrote yep. a little thing on it and it meant so much to me I get emotional when I think about it that he wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for me in the AWF and uh yeah he was with us all. I think his first well <laughs> I'll tell you a little story so I think his first match he ever had with me, he worked Bob Hawley, Hardcore Hawley. Mm. And I told Hawley that we're going to have a little fun with them. And so Hawley wasn't in the I, Hawley wasn't in the area where he was getting dressed. And I, I walked over to Aria. I said, dude, what did you do to, to, to Hawley? He goes, I didn't do anything. What do you mean? I said, he wants to kill you right oh my now. Oh, God. He's literally going to get in that ring and kill you. What did you do to him? And he's got a reputation, Ari, Ari mind you, here. Like, I think he most could, of our viewers know about. Uh, he does. And I'll, <laughs> you you probably wouldn't want to mess with him on, on his worst day. And finally, we at the very last second, 
we we let it know we let him know that it was we were ribbing him and teasing him and you could see like the 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 the, the white come back into his skin he was as red he was so stressed out he literally thought holly was going to beat the tar out of him in the ring and we let we let that go for about 45 minutes to an hour i'm not kidding you it was i was having such a hard time not laughing because he was so anxiety and so well, you got to break the rookies in somehow. So we were having a little fun with them and look where he is today. He's just, and he's still, he still talks. He's, he's uh, literally best friends with my son-in-law, him and my, and my wife and uh, my son-in-law go out with uh, him quite a bit and they go over to his house. He comes over to theirs. And I talked to our, Aria's, He's my guy. I love him. I love Ari. Have we banged heads? Absolutely. But I think we banged heads because we were a lot alike in some ways, but because we really did love each other. I think if you asked Aria if he loves me, I think he'd tell you that he does, and I definitely love Aria. He's, he's, uh, he was nothing but a gift to the AWF. And fans, we're going to pause things right there and bring you part two of our interview with Tony DiNucci next week here on the Draper Dialogues. I you know, there are some podcasts out there that go three, four hours, sometimes longer. And I always thought that wrestling fans didn't have the longest of attention spans these days. But anyway, we've got a good balance here. I think about another hour or so left with Tony DiNucci. And that'll be coming your way next week. If you uh, enjoyed this week's interview, I certainly hope that you'll be back to check that out. I especially liked hearing the good insight from DiNucci on those last days there of the AWA and uh, things weren't exactly the glory days at that point in the year 1990, though it was just a few years prior. You had uh, fans hanging from the rafters as Eye of the Tiger would play and Hulk Hogan comes out and everyone just goes just bonkers. Uh, but still nonetheless, uh, for Tony DiNucci to be able to perform on that stage at that point was a big deal for him. And um, I also hope that uh, we can hear the rock side of the story at some point, maybe uh, when the Hollywood Reporter or Variety or uh, maybe Entertainment Tonight or Extra interviews him that we can uh, hear from him about the time that he allegedly got an independent professional wrestler from Minnesota blackballed from a Italian grocery store and pizzeria there on West 7th Street in St. Paul, though I won't hold my breath about that part. I uh, hope you'll join us next week to hear some thoughts from Tony DiNucci on uh, the various players in wrestling that he has interacted with over the last 30-plus years and his thoughts on the current state of pro wrestling and how he sees the AWF continuing to evolve. Uh, if you're watching us on Facebook, be sure to click that like button. Stay connected with everything to do with the AWF. If you're watching us on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button and be the first to see all the content we're putting out on our YouTube page. And if you're listening to the podcast, be sure to leave us that five-star rating and review. That would be awfully kind of you. And finally, if you think you have friends out there that would enjoy uh, hearing this, be sure to send it their way. I know in the state of Minnesota, plenty of AWA fans that long for that nostalgia and I'm sure would be interested to hear Tony's thoughts uh, on those last days as the AWA was winding down and his... Uh, interactions with Vern Gagne. For Tony DiNucci, I'm DJ Draper saying thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week here on the Draper Dialogues. So long.